0: Tired of feeling like a pawn in a world run by the devil? Overwhelmed by the constant barrage of negative influences from this world? We invite you to join us at the 2023 Men's Gathering, where we are excited to welcome the mad Christian himself, Reverend Jonathan Fisk. Close to 150 men will descend upon Lakeview Villages in Seymour, Indiana, the weekend after Easter, April 13th to the 16th. We hope you can join us for a relaxing weekend where our brotherhood is strengthened and new friends are made every year. Visit our website at mensgathering.us for more information and to register. Find us on Facebook for additional info leading up to the event. We are expecting a full crowd this year, so make sure to register early to reserve your spot. We hope you'll join us as we learn how to stop the white noise at the 2023 Men's Gathering, a proud supporter of A Brief History of Power. This is the new series, right? Uh, And on American... Historic. Why don't you say it again? It's not
1: myth.
2: A theological but... history of America. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: The myth of America. <laughs> it is. It's the myth of America.
1: It's real to me, man. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um,
0: so you know, maybe, maybe Brian let it roll and started in there. Uh, maybe not, Doctor Kuntz. Uh, we're going to start a new series here on America's identity and what we believe. That is what is preached. That that is versus what reality is, and then as Christians, yeah. the question is like, where do we where do we stand in this right. in this mix of things? Uh, is it really as easy as hey, let's just all pledge allegiance in our day school every day, and we'll get along fine for the next three hundred years, uh, or 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 is there something else going on? And and how do we get to where we are? So you know, you you threw me an article from Politico on uh, Ottawa County, Michigan. And there is a place where a actual grassroots local... Christian localists, right? They're not Christian nationalists. They're actually Christian localists. Have They, uh, they,
1: they might be listeners. Yeah. Uh,
0: oh, that'd be interesting. Um, <laughs> they've come together and and uh, gained a coup legally, uh, vote, ballot harvested. I don't know what they did. They were elected, uh, they were elected. to this board, uh, county board, yeah. and they are following through on a pact to protect civil liberties. Uh, all the ones that are listener base would be like, these are important Right. Um, They're they're going to try to do that as a local government. And uh, the article um, kind of goes into some depth about uh, everything that's going on around that. Uh, Mm -hmm. You might imagine that not everyone thinks that this far right thing uh, is such a good thing. Uh, So but we're going to use this to, again, talk about the American myth here a little bit. Uh, Dr. Kuz, take it away.
1: Because and we'll we'll link the article in the show notes If you read the article, you're going to find a mixture of something that we're going to look at as a theme really throughout today's episode, which is that this is both accurate and wildly wrong precisely because it doesn't grasp the way that Americans, especially American Protestants, practice their religion or exist with their religion in relationship to other realms of life like public school or county boards or the United States of America in general. And it's not that that is some kind of unchanging entity throughout history. We're going to track how that's changed, especially among America's sort of founding religious populations, which are, you know, Protestants that are generally neither Lutheran nor Anabaptist, even though Lutherans and Anabaptists were here at the start, they just don't matter as much as these other sort of Anglo-descended groups. That combination of some accuracy along with wild misunderstanding is precisely what gets exploited, both in the article, which is obviously written by a leftist, it's Politico, but also gets exploited when it's reported to our own people. And the role of an article like this, which, if you read it, is about successful electoral success in a Republican county to make it more conservative or you know to guard against mask mandates next time or there are various goals that you can see that they've ha- they have and and things that they've already achieved the goal of this article is basically to discourage you from having opinions or actions with anything like the consequence that taking over a county government would have if you remember for example during covid one of the things that we stressed was that american law enforcement has all of these different levels and for people who don't want to be dictated to for example by the largest city in their state or you know the largest town in their county or whatever the case may be you have different levels you have municipal police forces you have sheriffs offices at county levels different things that are that are actually really helpful that that variety in levels and forms of government is actually baked into our political system as a hedge against totalitarianism What you see as you read this article, so I would encourage you just to kind of stop the podcast and go read and then come back. It won't take you that long. The pictures are interesting. This is Western Michigan, maybe a little bit northwest of Grand Rapids or west of Grand Rapids, just just slightly. Once you read that, you're going to see that what I think and and what I want to talk about, certainly as, as a matter of misunderstanding, but also as a matter of some accuracy, depending on how you define it is the the major boogeyman in the article, as has been the case in lots of leftist publications for roughly the past two years, because they can't quite blame it on QAnon anymore, is what I think is largely a stalking horse of Christian nationalism. And what I mean by that, and I'll explain the way in which I guess that could be used accurately historically and today for many American Christians but the the idea of christian nationalism i think is really an amalgam in the minds of those who are using it in journalism and then the minds of those who are hearing it and appropriating it uncritically is some combination of the handmaid's tale which is a sort of modern fairy tale written by margaret atwood for the consumption of second wave feminists in the 1980s i want to say the book came out Obviously, the Netflix movie matters a lot more at this point, but the origin of the myth is in a novel. Some combination of The Handmaid's Tale, which is a sort of fable about the American religious right, that its goal in some way resembles totalitarian government. The fact that this has never actually ever been the case and that America has its own political tradition separate from Europe is always disregarded. So there's a combination of this sort of Christianized work Christian veneered totalitarianism, intimate control over people's lives, over people's marriages, over everything, right? There's some combination of The Handmaid's Tale mixed with the idea that if it's being done, especially by white people, it's evil. And so since you're going to find that both historically in America and down to today, politically relevant political work done by Christians is going to be done by white people in the United States. That's a function of just statistical probability and historical circumstance. Because of that, it can be denounced as evil. So if you look at the the article, you're going to get just pictures of white people, both for and against what's going on. And they largely seem to have interviewed, and maybe those were the only interviews they could get, opponents of this trend. but that's that's kind of what's understood i think is some combination of evil whites with totalitarianism that is christian and that's that's what is meant by christian nationalism and that's that's what that's its existence as a kind of a ghost or a terrifying cryptid that's the point of the phrase you'll notice that the phrase comes up over and over and over again but only in the past couple of years the sense in which it's accurate is that you have americans who are would be called conventionally patriotic who are also very christian and what you have in an article like this but also what you probably have in your daily life in some regard are people outlawing ways of thinking and ways of living that were previously uncontroverted so this is we've talked about this before but this is where tolerance in its modern form, is always a lie. It's a plea for space so that they can then crowd you out. And what's happening right now is that you are being crowded out. So you see this all over the place. It exists in the article, too. I mean, somebody just says something very kind of standard about marriage or something, but it's used as a like, wow, can you believe they're saying these things? You know. A similar thing happened in the leftist coverage, whoever Makara action is of how Twitter handled the new large catechism is that Makara action described some of the Twitter accounts, the Lutheran Twitter accounts as transphobic. Well, <laughs> Lutheran teaching on the nature of marriage and sexuality is transphobic. I mean, there's there's, you know, so what happens is he- here is that you keep saying the same thing and you say, well, I'm not saying what those guys are saying, or, or I wouldn't do politically what those people in Western Michigan are doing. Okay, so you're safe for right now. The thing is, you see how this works. They're going to take things that you actually agree with, and that will generally become unthinkable. That will generally, that will by and by become what is quoted as, can you even believe that they're saying things like this in public? So that's kind of the role here, is that articles like this mark off territory where you're not allowed to go. And so the territory here where you're not allowed to go is going to involve things like quote taking over school boards as as if winning an election is somehow nefarious necessarily, right? <laughs> Democracy dies in darkness. But but it's it's trying to set uh, here here are the limits for good conservative people. That's why they you'll you'll notice the noun these days is pretty much always if they don't like it it's called far right right and that that means that you don't go over there and and you're nice and so you would never go over there and if you don't go over there then you won't be bad like they are i th- to me articles like this are are very very well constructed in the sense that they understand that some of the let's say emotional or psychological insights that people like jonathan hate have called attention to as well as others in doing particularly what you might call like political psychology, that conservatives tend to be people who are more conformist and probably more upstanding on a day to day basis in their personal actions and lives than left wing people. And the hack there is that therefore you don't tell them that something is going to liberate somebody. You tell them instead that this is what good people do. You don't tell them that this is going to open up new spaces, because they're not really interested in new spaces. You tell them that respectable people don't do things like take over a school board. And you don't have to do that explicitly. You just do it via a combination of telling adjectives and Kind of scary lighting when you're taking pictures of, you know, the fun the in this article, there's an apple grower who stands up and says that he's glad that we're returning to our constitutional past. I mean, that that just on its own terms, that quote, has nothing to do with Christianity. But he's cited as an example of a far-right Christian nationalist. So it's it's lying, but it's a very sophisticated form of lying, and it's a very psychologically perceptive kind of lying because what it's doing is it's making sure that you don't take action like these people did of any kind, but also that even before taking any kind of action, you don't think off-limits thoughts. And this article is just kind of painting the lines on the road so that you know very clearly what your lane is and don't go in the far right lane.
0: There is so much there, and I'm I'm caught I'm caught finishing up the thought. Yeah, no worries. Where do you want to go with this? I mean, I I I could like riff on that, right? You want to, I'll go 15 minutes, right? I got I got enough here I could riff, but but you know the listener um, is digging in, not just for yeah. me to repeat what you say, sure. But we're starting here to go somewhere, right? So yeah. so lay some of that track too for yeah. me.
1: Yeah, so I would say like the there's the contemporary political moves that we just called attention to that are that are very important to understand when they're being made so that you don't start dancing a dance you don't actually want to want to wind up dancing because there's no way to there's no way to win in that dance so let let's say for example because I know some of the listener base they're going to read this article they're going to be they're, they're not going to have much sympathy with the people in the article who are being chronicled as nefarious totalitarian whatever because these people are not of their tradition or or denomination of Christianity their confession
0: okay yeah we do a so the way that kind of thing right
1: yeah they're di- they're different they're different but they're different in their low status that's important to realize is that what is going to be what are going to be pretty normal in the whole historic scheme of things pretty normal affirmations for Christians in America to make which is for instance that we are built on Faith in God. This is so normal so recently that In God We Trust got put on the money in the 50s. I mean, a lot of things that are now distinctive of like a conservative state, like uh, you can get an In God We Trust license plate from, you know, the following states, but California and New York are not going to sell you an In God We Trust license plate these things that were distinctive of american you know certain now distinctive of certain conservative states which could be called christo fascist maybe if you wanted to from your you know office in san francisco that was just that was just totally normal now the nature of those things the definition of those things is something that we're going to work on throughout the series that you're going to notice over time and certainly by the 1950s that that definition of god becomes vaguer and vaguer So, who is God? Well, God now, after the Second World War, is Judeo-Christian, an adjective you're actually going to find in this article in the mouth of one of the. mm -hmm. And so that Judeo-Christian thing—that's—that's new. So the God, the God is getting vaguer in public. I don't actually think that, like some sort of conservative Baptist, which is one of the settings for the the meetings that. Got this group Ottawa Impact organized that now have such sway in Ottawa County. The Conservative Baptists don't don't believe in a God other than the Trinity, but this is the way that they have learned that they that they talk or that you should talk when you talk in public about God in America. So there's something that is off-putting, I know, to Missouri Synod Lutherans about this. And I don't I don't just mean for theological reasons. I mean, like these people are not us, so they're bad. So there's there's that. And I the reason I think that's that's unproductive is because we're not anything like a majority. And even if we were, so let's say we were America's largest Christian denomination, which is the Roman Catholic Church. even if we were, we still couldn't achieve much alone because even though it's America's largest Christian denomination, it, does not possess control over any kind of Christian vote in any sense. Certainly not now. So the idea that looking down on people is going to get anything accomplished that would be fruitful or productive for anybody's kind of church, I think is a is a bad idea. They're also low status because they're evangelicals. And even though evangelicals are actually likelier to possess a college degree at this point in American history than many people, okay, so your average megachurch attendee is probably better educated than the surrounding population, like the general population of his area. Even though that's now the case, they're still low status in a way that low church Protestants pretty much always have been in most of America. So that's important to remember, too, is that when you're reading about this, you have to remember, I probably look down on these people in some sort of implicit way and just keep that in mind. I mean, I I don't, but, you know, I, <laughs> I'm from a place that America just like let fall into the ground, basically. So. I just I have a little bit different perspective on these things. If you're from a more successful place, or you're from a form of Christianity that has more cultural cachet, like we play Bach cantatas in my church, or we play Palestrina at mass at my you know local Catholic parish, whatever it is, you're you might be looking down on these people. I just want to suggest that you don't do that. Partly
2: Hallelujah.
1: for this reason, yeah, yeah. Well, Lent. I'm part, sorry, but still, yeah. Well, no, partly. For this reason, these are generally the only people who do anything with their Christian beliefs in America in public. Everyone else is either not trying at all or has just sort of allowed itself to lose the cultural cachet that it did have, that its beliefs are relatively inoperative. So we've talked about quietism before as something that Lutherans often engage in. I would say it's not so much quietism as utter capitulation that you often see from the Catholic hierarchy at this point. And it's some, it's various versions of capitulation that you increasingly see in lots of denominations that you just sort of, you see where the lines are painted and that's new, but you move over, right? You're not going to, you're not going to keep driving on a part of the road that is, you know, now off limits. Even though it's a perfectly usable part of the road, that's now off limits, so you move over. And that dynamic, I think, is one – that's that's what the point of an article like this is. What effect is it really going to have on the people in a very Republican county who voted still more conservative people into office? Not a whole lot, because probably most of those people are already very skeptical of an outlet like Politico, right? But the point is really to kind of control your thinking and through controlling your thinking, Control your actions. So, we want to explain a little bit more throughout the series about where these people came from and why they are this way and why they express themselves in these ways, and eventually where the adjective Judeo Christian came from, so that we can understand how not really to be so decisively affected by what we think other people might think if we did something that could be in any way difficult, controversial, or indicative of resistance
0: i think a big part of our goals you and me specifically uh are to for our own persons to have our beliefs be in operation in our lives and yeah. uh we we would give a lot of heart to that right and right. both of us uh, coming in through and being a part of the the tradition that is the lutheran church missouri synod perhaps uh, can, can both feel a bitter pill in just asking that question you know what what would we be if our beliefs were in operation what would we be if, if we actually were what we believe we are acted that way And I don't mean in some sort of like pietistic I reached a hundred percent sanctification yesterday kind of way right I mean, if we if we stood on the theology as if it were true, if we applied the doctrine of election to missiology rather than just doing it like Armenians all the time, what what would happen? You know, who would we be? And that we can take this kind of across the board and see how, uh, quite the other way, so much of what we would hope in as our institutions inherited from the fathers that would be kind of bastions of, of reality, even those places. University systems, right? Catechism documents, right? Uh, They're they're infiltrated by by the arms of the beast here right and so you know in all that you said there in the opening it was so much i'm looking forward to learning from you there's gonna be a lot of me learning from you in this series uh the the idea that uh we've come to a place where for many christians including especially for our heart's sake the lutheran church of missouri synod but but many christians are effectively as a mass as a group as a body uh, living mm-hmm. with beliefs that are inoperative in the world you might might practice it at home by yourself right but together you're not doing nothing and and this is a story about some people who did they just did right. something Right. And so you know I'm right there with you like before we were like, well, they're kind of blue collar about it like like so what right, right. Um, I, I'm not saying Jesus blessed them from heaven and that they are eternally gratified to the seventh level or whatever. I, I'm saying again um, before you uh, well, I think uh, Teddy Roosevelt, right get in the re- get in the arena um, you know but before you start pelting the guy who's there, they're in the arena. this is it, right right, right. there.
1: Yeah and the use of labels is very interesting in the article because something you'll notice is that Christian nationalism and later on from a lady who says that she used to vote for traditionalist republicans which probably so like given I know yeah well probably yeah right probably given the Michigan context that's probably somebody who is more of a a Gerald Ford from Michigan and there's actually a former Gerald Ford advisor interviewed later on is you'll you'll notice that the the role there is that they they have this vocabulary because they can use these this vocabulary as a set of tools that will actually get something done so this might seem like a little bit of a tangent but this is a this is such a political constant it might be helpful to point out that before richard nixon was taken down his vice president spiro agnew was taken down and reckoned as as dirty for certain, you know, complicated political matters that occur at basically every level of government. In his home, I believe he was he was Baltimore County Commissioner in Maryland before he was Governor of Maryland. And those those things he's taken down basically to replace him with Gerald Ford, so that when Nixon is then taken down, Ford is right there, ready to go, being what this lady in in this article from 2023 would call a quote traditionalist republican she's now voting democrat the issue here is that those things that are tools for people who might not agree with you that marriage is only between a man and a woman i mean and this is where i mean i think it's really important for the audience to understand especially with the the controversy over the large catechism on twitter people discovered a lot of ideas floating around on the internet they didn't even know existed especially that's in church.
0: That's, that's important, yeah. I think. That's like a red pill moment, right?
1: Yeah. And But what I what I mean here is the role here is once those lines are painted by this person that can use a word like Christian nationalist as a tool, uh. you, it, you might still disagree with that person on Twitter about that thing, and that's totally fine. That's totally up to you and up to him. But once that line is painted, now you are in hock to... The person who's allowed to use these things as weapons, who's somewhere to the left of you, right? Who isn't even in a – like just in a purely political context, who isn't even a Republican anymore. But now she still gets to tell you what Republicans should be doing and that today's GOP is just completely insane, which that last point is all over every NPR station currently for like the past year coverage of the current Republican Party as if it is mentally ill, right? So the, the point here is not so much that you have to agree with everything you've ever seen on the internet or heard that somebody thought. That really doesn't matter. And politically, it's fairly useless to think that politics is a realm of pure wars of ideas. <laughs> it almost never is. It's it's politics is downstream of culture. Yes, true. Politics is also downstream generally of thought, I think a lot of people think that local, national, church politics, whatever kind of politics is somehow like a realm for the debate of ideas and the interplay of ideas. It's not. It's a realm for debate and interplay concerning power, which is not necessarily about thought. It's about who can achieve what, practically speaking. And practically speaking, things like this or the use of words like Christian nationalist are meant to shut down debate. They're like the word pietist in certain Lutheran circles. They close down debate so that you are no longer allowed to bring up that objection or make that statement. And the trick here is that if someone has power, your capacity to bring things up, if you're out of power, will continually shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink. So we don't want that that to happen. And I think in order for that not to happen, a place that we have to start, and that's why we started here is both with the people chronicled in the article, but also with the way that the article talks about them. Because here's the thing. If somebody, I mean, we've done enough of the show. I, I think you could probably get us saying anything taken out of context. I mean, maybe truly anything.
0: We're, we're, we both should be easy but, to take down whatever they want to. Yeah, yeah right. We're kind right. of, we're lying in fruit.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, what, I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, I'm I'm transphobic. I'm homophobic you know, I'm you know, guilty of all these things, I'm I'm sure. Right. I'm not afraid of any of this, but you know, well, you know what they mean by these yeah, words. Yeah. Is yeah that, I, mean,
0: they, they, I mean, to be fair, I mean, yeah. we are dealing with a government that let's forget everything about that we're men of integrity who say what we believe, is what the Bible says, and they hate that. Okay. Like this right. is a government that will will turn you into whatever they need you to be to destroy you if Correct. they really want to destroy yeah. you. That you will become something you weren't and your credit cards will say so. Right. It's gonna happen. Right. Like they have that power own it.
1: <laughs> right. And so, so what, what's happening here is that we are leading off this series by basically showing the consequences of our replicating the misunderstandings of people who truly are our enemies. So if some if some evangelical wants to save the public schools, I don't want to save the public schools. Classic Missouri Senator Lutheran, I don't want to save the public schools. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I care about Lutheran education. I care about education that uses the word of God. I don't need to save the public schools. If an evangelical in a rural or suburban county in Michigan wants to save the public schools, go for it.
0: Do it.
1: I He he is not against me. He is not against me. He is not against Christ. Do I agree with everything he's doing or think that it's going to work? Or No, but he is not against me. What this article is designed to do to a person like myself, who probably wouldn't be a member of Ottawa Impact and probably wouldn't be protesting at a public school board meeting because my children are not engaged in the system and and I don't care, what it's designed to do is separate me from him who is trying to do those things, who is trying to save those things, and somehow maybe I don't align myself with... Everyone in the article are with the journalists, but they are trying to give me room to be Christian in the article. If you read it, it's like, here's a critical person. He goes to church every week. Here's a guy who thinks this is evil. He plays the organ at his church every week, <laughs> right? <laughs> is that is that, oh, it's like, oh, well, there's room to be to be nice and then no one will disapprove of me. And the problem there is that misunderstanding either how these sort of political dynamics operate but also misunderstanding how religion in America operates and and who's what and what has been what and what is what and is that this is not just a matter of like i you know i'm talking to a methodist but i don't really know what that is so i end up attributing like a roman catholic belief to a methodist this is not these are not these are not faux pas that we're worried about we're worried about the idea that we could under the wrong circumstances not really make it. It's that kind we are, of, yeah. It, go it's kinda
0: of, I get this image. I mean, it's, it's it's classic, kind of stupid me here, but you know, you have John Huss about to be burned at the stake, but then I don't know, you know, the Klingons show up, right? And and the Catholics and, and the Hussites look at each other and they're like, Well, I guess we got bigger problems right now, right? Than than <laughs> than this little fight we're having over the Bible being true, right? Yeah. As Christians. Yeah. We're going to kill each other yeah. over oh, the days when Christians kill each other over this. Uh it wouldn't be nice. Uh, wouldn't you kill for Christians to care about this, right? Right. right. <laughs> and I don't, I don't really want those days. I think there's great error in the violence that the devil has done in the name of the church public, so please don't take my satire uh too seriously. Um but uh, but, right. uh yeah, I think the point's made, yeah.
1: Yeah, because what we're dealing with is not a situation in which Christianity has the cultural, or if you want to say, you can say national, dominance, prominence, and weight that it has historically had in the United States of America. The sense in which the term Christian nationalism or Christian nation is historically correct would be to recognize that from its beginnings in what we're going to mark out as European colonization of the, of what is now the United States, America and Americans are presumptively Christian in the sense that anyone in the historical realm of Christendom is presumptively Christian. That doesn't mean that pastorally speaking, spiritually speaking, everyone actually is. Everyone has always recognized that. But yeah, I mean you know, Luther sometimes talks in ways that are very recognizable to American pastors about the proportion of the population that actually believes in these things. But Luther also didn't say that, therefore, because people are bad at it or insincere or whatever, Germany was not, you know, or Saxony, electoral Saxony was not, therefore, a Christian nation in some sense of those words, right? So the accuracy here is a historical accuracy the misunderstanding or the malevolent lie, depending on who's either producing or believing these things about Christian nationalism, is that it is some sort of totalitarian uh, boogeyman that is going to take over everything. And maybe there are people on the internet who want that, like sincerely, but it's historically just kind of a silly idea that somehow that is what is happening when someone is refusing to wear a mask at a school board meeting <laughs> Yeah, uh, or is yeah. saying that the kids are never going to wear masks in the public schools of this area or something again. So, but what, what it's, what it's there for is to control you so that you are not allowed to think thoughts or take actions That would be averse to what really is operating in a religious manner. And I I think that's really the importance of Christian nationalism is that it portrays as religious and religiously biased the, the, the enemy of what is truly overtaking all of our institutions, our social institutions, our educational institutions, which is something that is certainly religious in its affirmations, even fideistic, that is, believing far too easily, fideistic in its practice. I don't know what you want to call it. You can call it woke. You can call it whatever you want. But the things taking over our institutions behave in religious ways, so they have to identify their enemies in ways that are familiar, if you know your medieval history, And they're the way that you talk about heretics you want to get rid of, right? So an article like this is for the identification of heretics so that you can know what the boundaries are, where not to step, what not to say, what not to think, and then you won't be guilty of heresy. And religious institutions do this because they need to maintain orthodoxy. And they feel that in this case, in West Olive, Michigan, orthodoxy is not being maintained
0: you kind of, I mean, woke. You kind of walked around that word, and you were trying to label something, and it really is like what's behind it because you say woke, and, and it means more yeah. than one thing, right? And it covers yeah, a lot of ground right. all at once. Right. The word based doesn't make sense without the word woke. Uh, so woke woke is this like kind of key category of thought, and yet what on <laughs> what on
1: earth? Yeah. Right. I, mean, I think it's. I mean. I'm I'm not being purposely vague. I'm being vague because I don't have a single word for the let's say I don't I don't have a single ideological term for the haters of God and of his works. Nor do they have a single ideological term. Your best your best version of it was what was called communism or marxism. And that's why it was so fervently denounced, even by usually somewhat quietistic groups like the Roman Catholic Church in America and the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod as such. It doesn't call itself that anymore. We could call it that now. Sometimes it will openly do that and fly the red flag, but that usually still only happens in very, ironically, blue jurisdictions in America like Chicago or Seattle or Brooklyn. So it's difficult to find a single word for it. And even communists are not exhaustively those who have been in open revolt against God and against the generally Christian public order of the West, especially since the 18th century. So there's no single word that captures those things. Woke would give to that a certain dynamic of racial anger right so that so that whites are congenitally evil or of sexual resentment that men are congenitally evil so then you have the intersectional demon of the straight white christian male but i'm i i wasn't being purposefully vague if i was being vague because there just isn't a single word for this or for how long it has been openly going on Right. Yeah. Well, um, that's and my question yeah.
0: wasn't really trying to to innuendo that at all. Uh, more just seeing that this is a it's a profound term, yeah. pretty new ground to like knock off Marxism. <laughs> you know, just kind of move that one out of the conversation, right? And, and now it's yeah. woke. Um, and, and and what is this this beast? This thing is is it, uh, rightly called antichrist? Uh, You know, I I really think that's a question worth asking and the Reformation, you know, needs to be able to ask that kind of question. Um, One of the other thoughts that that, uh, came out uh, of that was, um, and someone pointed this out uh, right at the start of of 2020, right? Because maybe you don't remember. I think most of our listeners do remember that uh, Anthony Fauci initially had said, don't wear masks, it won't work. It was like the first thing that came out.
1: Yeah, the listeners know that. Yeah.
0: And and then, and, and I remember being like really bold and saying this to like several people because it's like, that was yeah, CDC. CDC said, it. why would you not trust the CDC? And then like like a month later, like you're supposed to wear the masks, right? And right. I think that was, for me, that was like, what? You know, that, that was maybe my red pill, if there was a spot. It's like, because I'd been boasting, you, know, you listen to the CDC, and when CDC changed itself that fast, okay. But point being, um, somebody else pointed out as the master coming on, it was a meme or some other thing, um, yeah. but they said, this is punishment for voting for Trump. They're muzzling you now. And I remember n- not thinking like, oh, they're right. The conspiracy has come together. No, yeah. What I thought was, oh, my goodness, you know, like, like that symbol is hard to miss whether or not anyone intended this forget who intended it the alien invaders intended it okay like like who cares all of us wearing those masks as we did was just symbolic of what they were actually doing which is further silencing us so now the mask is off but we're further marginalized as a culture christians are further further marginalized as a culture now we've been masked Right. And, and wherever we were able to say, no, we won't go. Right. Here's a little county is going to say we won't go. Right. And Now we're going to marginalize you in the eyes of even those who are ought to be for you. Right. right. As much as we can, right. as much as they'll trust right. Politico. Right. And certainly you're going to hear about it at the dinner table. Somebody somewhere with someone who you love who's going to bring it as a talking point. Right. And you got to sit there and try to, like, play the good guy. And like, oh, well, we wouldn't do that. You know what we, we have. We believe his ideas, but we wouldn't like take over a local board, you know, take over, uh, get elected. I love that point you made earlier. <laughs>
2: right.
0: Golly. How dare you run for
1: office. Right. What yeah. a
0: wicked man must be. So, yeah, the muzzle. Right. The muzzle that uh, we're being silenced and and uh, to be aware of that as the power of the beast one way or the other. And uh, that Christianity particularly is the antidote to this, uh, the boldness to talk in the face of, you know, whatever. Right. You, and you, you take Paul, you take Peter, you take the saints of old, you take Luther uh, to to say, because of my conviction, uh, I'm going to do the right thing here. Yeah. Yep. And that involves not only saying what the Bible actually says, it does involve living the way the Bible says that is in an upright manner before my neighbor for the sake of my neighbor. He dwells with me for safety. And so, for goodness sakes, I mean, this is like what we've been asking people to do, Adam. This is what we're begging people to do.
2: Yeah. Are, are you telling me goes. you
0: actually are seeing like like Missouri Cinder Lutherans complain about this yet or you just
1: think they will? I... I recognize in us a a severe a, a severe prejudice, you might say, that is literally a prejudgment or a, or a bias in the simple sense of that word, like this is just the way that the water likes to run down this hill, toward desire for conformity. And That is not manifested in every religious tradition in America. It's not manifested by everybody. And it's not necessarily bad. Everything that is in one's character under the sun can be used for good or ill, except the flesh itself. So if you are mercurial, that could be good in a situation in which you need to react and change quickly if you are phlegmatic you know you don't react very much to anything that could be wonderful under certain circumstances so these habits of character which exist in in groups which get manifested very readily their reasons you can go find fairly interesting articles about which religious denominations with their predominant areas of strength in which parts of the country were more or less likely to be Rubio or Cruz voters rather than Trump voters in the Republican primary in 2016. There's a there's a really interesting little map about on a scale from very blue to very red of who prefers Ben Shapiro or who prefers Tucker Carlson. And the Lutheran heartland prefers Ben Shapiro. Oh wow. <laughs> And, and, and Appalachia and New England and the Southeast and small parts of the West, population wise, I prefer Tucker Carlson. And I probably could have told you that. And the Lutherans skew more towards the Mormons on their desire for conformity. Utah very much prefers Ben Shapiro over Tucker. So
0: that's a fascinating dynamic right there, it man.
1: It really is. But I feel like I could have drawn the map and gotten it right, even. Even if it hadn't been colored in,
0: I just feel so so like vindicated in my black sheepness as a Missouri Synod Lutheran. It's like, <laughs> no, no, really, Shapiro, really? No, Tucker, gotta, he's pulling his hair out. People, come on, it's just better TV. It's just better TV. <laughs>
2: um,
1: so yeah, so uh, because because our group just is the way it is, and that's fine, and it's not the way I am, and and that's fine too. Because of that, I know is that. We are very susceptible to people telling us how to think because we want to know what is happening so that we are not doing something extremely strange and untoward and unacceptable. That Look, That's yeah, simply the yeah, but. Yeah. That's I wanna, the group's bias.
0: I want to ask a narrow question about that. Okay. I mean, because and, yeah. and we've we've pushed on this a little in terms of people groups having dynamics and it's, yeah. you know, the, the, the specter of race. Let's just ignore that argument for a moment and i want to ask luther so regularly did say crazy germans and and he he meant that there was something about the people who would then you know be the lutherans um uh (laughs) that was genetically predisposed to very peculiar behavior when compared to say other nations and when i first read this as a (laughs) seminarian i'm like "Ah, he's just saying that everyone would say that about themselves But like, no, really, Um, (laughs) is there something about us crazy Germans here that is uh, at least family system dynamic, go psychology with it, at least family system dynamic predisposed toward conformity in a way that um, is uh, borderline unhealthy for us as a people, (laughs) Uh, that we have um, a a predisposition to obedience to outer authorities without discernment, and and that in such a naive culture, uh, or such a naive people, in a culture of salesmen and and political assassinations, uh, you're you're kind of uh, up a creek without a river. Oh, didn't, I didn't come out I, right at the end, but I yeah. don't.
2: Yeah,
1: I don't know if it is exclusively German. Just for this reason, that the place on the on the Shapiro Carlson preference map, I'll capitalize all those things, and it'll be a source of social science data for years. On the Shapiro-Carlson preference map, the most Shapiro-preferring place in the country is Utah. But there is something about groups that... And, and and German-Americans are not really the same thing as Germans. And I, I can go into that more if anyone cares. I'm not sure how much I care personally. <laughs> but in the same sense that the Scotch-Irish are actually a different people than the modern Scottish. That is... Scotch Irish are far more religious. I mean, almost every group in America that has some to- some antecedent in Europe is vastly more religious than its antecedent group. So the Scotch Irish are not reliably Presbyterian, as they should be in an ethnic sense. But they have very different political instincts than the Scottish in Scotland, which is their which is their origin. They're not they're not Irish in an ethnic sense. They're Scottish, but they were they came through Ireland to America generally. So German-Americans like Mormons, if you want to consider Mormons, almost really an ethnic group on that level. And genetically, Mormons are probably likely to be essentially my children, so a mixture of colonial descent and Scandinavian descent. Those groups both set niceness and group conformity and group activity way over and above everything else. And you see that in all kinds of ways manifested, good, bad, and indifferent. I wouldn't say, I mean, I, I don't, Jason Broadden wanted me to do a whole episode for with him on the Gottesdienst crowd thing about this. And the reason I didn't was partly because I'm an immigrant and I don't think immigrants should be wildly ungrateful and angry. And, and I'm not even privately, but I also, it's like, these are not my family dynamics. This is not my history. Except in a denominational sense, so there's a there's a sense in which I don't get it, and there's a sense in which I don't have the right to say too much. You kind ca- you kind of have to figure out your own problems for yourself.
0: Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you need a doctor who can see it from the outside too, though. Yeah. But, well, but, yeah, niceness being prized too highly
1: is, is as is, a dynamic is, is, is
0: matrilineal yes. to say the least. Good I,
1: I think so. Yeah. And it and it's certainly poisonous in an atmosphere in which someone else gets to decide what the group standards are, which is precisely what's happening where we don't have control over our own culture, right? Because that creates beliefs and practices and habits not inculcated by the word of God, which is what we're trying to control our group through, right? All groups have to be maintained somehow. Our group is supposed to be maintained through the word of God, through the proclamation of the word of God. So that's not happening, but then it can't even be corrected because it's like low status to correct somebody with the Bible. (laughs) Right. You know, like, what are you like a fundamentalist? See how this works. So that's how it worked in the 60s and 70s is that we're like, well, the Lutherans are not fundamentalists. Does that mean we believe that Jonah didn't exist or the whale didn't exist? Or, you know, like, uh, does that mean we believe Adam and Eve didn't exist? So you see how this goes is that first another group determines what is prestigious. You are conditioned to want to be prestigious and to be nice. So now you're going to change. So you you can't really maintain anything with that as not just an external dynamic, like a challenge. Like there are always challenges. There's always difficulty. But as your internal dynamic for your own group is, what do these other people say? You're, you're not going to survive. You're not going to survive unless that other people for some reason wants you to continue existing. But why would they want that? You're transphobic.
0: You got me right now. The entire quote again. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, goodness, we got about. Was it ten minutes left here? Yeah. Um, Can you set like a don't don't give away next episode too much, but can can you set like now a general arc? We're going kind of deep,
1: right? We are going deep. We're going back as far as we have any kind of historical record for what happened in what is now America, and the reason we're doing that is kind of twofold, and I will expand on both of these at the beginning of next week's episode. The twofold reason for that is when I'm reading about West Olive, Michigan or something, I'm not looking at it like it's merely a contemporary political dynamic. I'm looking at it as, for example, somebody is saying something that not only was extremely normal to say in 1890 or 1720, it was extremely normal to say in 2004. And now they're not allowed to, because what generally goes on is that your past, particularly a past that gives evidence of the predominance and normalcy of Christianity in American life, also in public life, is erased. So erasure is one dynamic that we'll talk about. The other dynamic that we'll talk about is the idea that the past is very distant from you and therefore that is the thing that is most off limits. So, uh, you know, that idea of painting or repainting the lines and moving the lines is that things from the past are off limits. You're not allowed to think them or even think about them. And I don't even mean that in the sense that you use the past just as a sort of like a mine we've talked about this before not everything from the past is going to be true and even what is true may not be immediately usable is that when the past is just off limits you're you're now not allowed to say things but also that past when it is brought up gets to be controlled by somebody else so they'll convince you for example that you know the the troops that landed in Normandy on D-Day were We're all anti-fascists in the sense that somebody with purple hair in Portland is an anti-fascist. This is just not true. (laughs) All kinds of ways in which it's not true. So those things are both erasure, but then also control over the past are tremendously important. And it is by those means that pretty much any communist regime is going to maintain control over its population's hearts and minds. Because if they cannot be erased and they can, and they do not forget, then that leaves possibilities. I mean, a communist regime is a regime that categorically doesn't have any kind of actual past. It has a series of propaganda moments and it has an imagined future. That's what it's for. It's not there so that you can have any sense of continuity with the past or you can farm the same land that your great-grandfather did. That all goes away. And they will tell you what the past meant. You don't get to have your own private memories, because that could be you could come up with a reactionary thought in your private memories. And then the future, they will keep promising to you and promising to you and promising to you and promising to you. And that is the ideological strength. That's the that's the spiritual strength or or stranglehold that they have over you. So we're gonna we're gonna start in this way by talking about both erasure and and about control over the past because when those things exist, and we'll have a specific example next week, when those things exist, you really are it, – it, it's almost as if you are it, – it's like you're a child. So you can't really gain in wisdom because you remain like a child. you are You can't remember anything that happened more than two weeks ago, and you don't know what it meant even if you can remember what happened.
0: That's a scary, scary thought, and it's one that you know. Where's the line? Uh, how many people out there uh, do remember uh, a couple weeks ago? I think most of us are trying to tie together some semblance of a of a post nineties American life. We, we still got kids, we're feeding them. You're maybe involved in this, that, or the other hobby, but. You know, as, as the wheel turns and uh, the screws are getting tight uh, out yeah. there in the culture, um, you know, are, are, are you ready for it? Do you see it? Uh, where are your prayers? Where are your prayers? Yeah. Um, and uh, can, can we admit at some point here that maybe even uh, communism itself as a word, Marxism itself as a word, are, are a little too much of a specter, uh, a secular promise, you know, uh, a disguise Behind which there lurks something uh, far more, far more diabolical. I mean, I think most people who have survived gulags are quick to point out it is diabolical. Um, but it's all again cloaked in the specter of secularism, secular talk. Oh, it's not about God. It's not about demons. Um, but but the beast and his marriage yeah. between church and state, by which you know, he falsely prophesies and attacks. The church, well, hey, look, um, you know, he's got a woke head, it would seem, or something like that, right? (laughs) And
1: yeah, go. Yeah, go. I, I think, yeah, I think that's a great point because when I say communism, I think of the Soviet Union or East Germany or something. And maybe that's just my failing, but that's why it's hard to find a word other than Antichrist. For yeah. what it is that assaults, because I mean, we're not we're finally not talking about school board elections when we're saying like your child used to have the genitalia that God gave him and it was taken away because you guys got divorced and he got put in this school and he had this teacher for homeroom. And now suddenly, allegedly, you have a daughter. Yeah, that's yeah. not that, that, that's not that's not like a dynamic solved by figuring out what's going on at the Democratic National Committee. These are, these are spiritual evils that we face in a way that is practically, but not actually, as we will to some degree talk about next week, practically, but not actually unprecedented. So there is a certain darkness we are confronting for which it is hard to find any word other than Antichrist.
0: And in this then, I mean, hats off to the, the people of Ottawa County who are ahead of the game, at least in saying, you know, hell no, we won't go. The right. antichrist and i know you listen to this show because y- you like to think you like to be you are one of those who's not going to just sit on your duff and do nothing uh so so get out of here you're listening to a brief history of power you were know to find us or you wouldn't be here the hebron collegium is a gap year bible school for men in rockford illinois semi-monastic boot camp for christian living cowards and slackers need not apply hebroncollegium.com
2: what do you think of when you hear the word college expensive liberal woke imagine a college that is affordable a college that is unapologetically conservative and lutheran a college that won't take a dime of federal funding a college that teaches the best of our western heritage a college where students grow in the christian faith instead of leaving it behind this is luther classical college a college by lutherans and for lutherans visit our website lutherclassical.org subscribe become a patron and join the thousands who are making luther classical college a reality at 7123 feet You can find mountains soaring above you and rivers running swiftly in the valley below you, natural beauty of every kind. But our God is richer in his gifts than this. At 7,123 feet in Pagosa Springs, Colorado, you can also find God's word preached purely and his sacraments given out for your salvation at our Savior Lutheran Church and School. Located off US 160, just west of downtown Pagosa, our Savior offers your children a wonderful place to learn of Christ and his wisdom week in and week out, and offers you the medicine of immortality Sunday in and Sunday out. Our Savior Lutheran School provides a Christ-focused classical education that enriches the child's soul with the best that has been thought and said to the glory of God. Whether you visit while vacationing or hunting in the beauty of the area, or whether you would like to join a group of faithful Lutheran Christians, our Savior, Pagosa Springs, has what you're looking for. Divine service with Holy Communion is each Sunday at 9 a.m., and Bible class follows at 10.30. At more than a mile high, you will find Christ in all his glory in the midst of his people at our Savior Lutheran Church and School a proud sponsor of A Brief History of Power. Find out more at oslcpagosa.org. North Idaho is home to beautiful mountains and scenic lakes, small-town tranquility, civil freedom, and the faithful Lutheran parish of Blessed Sacrament Lutheran Church, located in Hayden, Idaho, near Coeur d'Alene. Blessed Sacrament Lutheran Church is a proud sponsor of A Brief History of Power. If you like what you hear on Brief History, then you will love Blessed Sacrament, where the Lord's Word is faithfully preached and Christ's body and blood are administered at every divine service. Whether you are visiting Idaho or considering moving to Idaho, wouldn't it be nice? Please join the Saints of Blessed Sacrament Lutheran Church for the Mass and Augsburg Academy Bible Study. Directions, service times, and much more information about this confessional, liturgical parish may be found at BlessedSacramentLutheranChurch.com. Blessed Sacrament Lutheran Church, Historic Christian Orthodoxy, the Evangelical Lutheran Faith, in the beautiful Inland Northwest.